0: Amen. So we're going to continue our study of the book of 2 Corinthians. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. If you need a Bible, put your hand in the air and the ushers will bring one to you. Uh, Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, wrote to them. You have one over here, Delvin. uh, Wrote to them a letter of correction and... Uh, he was dealing with many aspects that the church was struggling with doctrinally and and problems they were having and they were they were struggling. however, this second letter that we 're looking at is really written to encourage the Corinthians in their obedience. They had made some adjustments they they looked at what Paul had written to them in the first letter and and we making some of the changes that, that he had given to them. And, and so uh, Paul was trying now to encourage them to continue their growth. And they still had some trouble spots that he had to address in the second letter. But it was primarily for encouragement. And um, then when we got to chapter 10, last time we saw the letter shift in a different direction. And Paul uh, begins now to defend his ministry to the Corinthians as an apostle. Uh, as as we'll we'll see in our text this morning, there were many false teachers that were coming on the scene there in in Corinth, and they were trying to distort or tear down the simplicity of the message of salvation that Paul had left with them and, and preached when he was among them. And so they, they were coming in with all of these distortions. And, uh, and so he, he's going to point out to the Corinthian believers that there were false teachers that were trying to dissuade them and to pull them away from that true message of salvation. He also is going to show us in our text this morning that the deception that's being used by these false teachers is really uh, from the enemy himself who masquerades himself as an angel of light. And so let's get into our text and see what the Lord would say to us. In verse 1, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly... And indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, this is actually a a continuation of his thought from the end of what we have as chapter 10. um, Beginning at verse 15, Paul was concerned that there were men coming to the church at Corinth that were boasting... In their own ability to be leaders and their own ability to uh kind of replace paul's role as an apostle, and they were self appointing themselves to leaders of the Corinthian believers, and they were boasting about their their own ability and and kind of pridefully presenting themselves to the corinthians and 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 so they were trying to build on the foundation that Paul had laid with their own works and their own abilities and such. And in fact, let's read verses 15 to 18 of chapter 10. It says, Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, speaking of Paul, but but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. This is what those false teachers were doing. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And so Paul's contention was with the fact that they were commending their own work and they were trying to build upon the ministry he started there in Corinth and they were they were misleading the people it was it was a false teaching that they were bringing and they were esteeming themselves in the process and 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 really thinking very highly of themselves as men and so Paul says it's not he who commends himself that is approved but who God commends and their efforts so it, you know it, it really is all about what god thinks about us not what we think about ourselves and paul's ministry had the validation of of god's approval and god's authority that he had given to him as an apostle and and so um you know the authentic uh, authenticity of the ministry was judged based on what the Lord said about Paul and not what Paul said about himself. And and so the fact that Paul could say to the Corinthians, you are my epistle or my letter of authenticity, uh, he's saying the fruit that was born in the ministry while I was there is what shows you that the ministry was from the Lord, and 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 we're going to see that as this this chapter plays out. That that the fruit of the ministry is a, a great way to evaluate whether it's of the Lord or not. So, with with men bragging as the background, we we pick up this narrative in chapter eleven with Paul saying, "You know what? Bear with me in just a little bit of folly," and he's he's going to he's going to show them by this seemingly foolish bragging that the false teachers coming into their midst really had nothing over him as far as ministry was concerned and being able to minister the things of God. Now, he was careful to point out that his boasting is an illustration. It's not a proof text for you to start patting yourself on the back and telling people how wonderful you are. Uh, he, he's not saying, you know, follow me as I brag on myself. It's uh, an illustration that he's using, and and so he, Paul knew full well uh, the teaching of Proverbs twenty seven two: let another man praise you and not your own mouth, uh, a stranger and not your own lips. So truly, I mean, if you look at the overall picture that Paul paints of his life. Uh, he declares himself to be the chief of sinners and and one born out of due season as an apostle he was the least of the apostles in his own estimation and and so he had an accurate opinion of himself so for illustration purposes, he enters into some folly as he calls it, and most of this chapter is is presented with that idea that he's he 's bragging as an illustration not as uh, a means of trying to make people think he's great and and so he says to them that that these guys are trying to rip you off and I have a jealousy for you and it's a a godly sense of jealousy that Paul had it wasn't worldly in any uh, sense he he describes it like him being the father of their faith. He was the one that brought the gospel message to Corinth. The church started as a result of the ministry that God had poured through the Apostle Paul. And so he had this sense of of ownership to it in that, that he was privileged to lead them to the Lord. And so he, he, he felt this jealousy for their faith there the, these false teachers were trying to dissuade them away from faith and and so he felt this godly sense of jealousy to protect them like a father would and and so um, he was a proud father in that sense his jealousy was more of a protective measure than a worldly type of jealousy now it's important that the the corinthian christians understand this about paul that that his credentials as an apostle were true and they could trust what paul had had brought to them and the message that he had brought and the teaching that he had brought that it was of the lord and and so it was essential that they get this Um, and he even uh, uh, kind of equates himself to being like the the friend of the groom who watches over the bride during that period of the betrothal between between being betrothed and the actual wedding ceremony and and so paul considers himself to be like the friend of jesus the bridegroom and and he will do his best to present the corinthians as a bride uh as a virgin to christ on that wedding day when christ would would come back for the church or when they would stand before jesus now you have to kind of put yourself into that culture to understand the importance of what Paul is saying here at that time in that culture this this time of being betrothed to somebody was a very important thing in their culture and and it wasn't taken lightly at all if if somebody was betrothed to another and they were unfaithful to that person it, it was considered grounds for divorce, even though the wedding hadn't taken place yet. That's how serious it was, and and they could even be put to death as a result. And and so, um, this any time I, I guess the illustration for us would be any time that our hearts are given to something other than the Lord, then we're committing spiritual adultery, and and. Um, we're in that betrothal period right now waiting to stand before the Lord. And so there was a a warning from Paul to not let your hearts be taken astray by these false teachers and, and therefore you commit spiritual adultery. Paul wanted to be able to present them to Christ without being violated by false teaching and false doctrine, these deceitful things that were being brought in. In fact, he warns them in the next verse, in verse 3, he says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And so Paul was uh, concerned that the Corinthians were going to be deceived and, and ripped off by some of these false teachers that that the um, gospel or the good news that Paul had preached when he shared with them uh, would somehow be distorted that that it would get away from the simplicity of what Paul had preached in their midst you see the the gospel message is a simple message in fact Jesus told us the simplicity of it. You remember when he was talking with Nicodemus in that famous verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the simple gospel message from Jesus himself. He made it very simple for us. We believe in God's son and we're saved. We have eternal life. There's simplicity in those words and and so we believe now we we know believe is a verb it's something you do but it, it it's it's not just intellectually reasoning out there's a god i mean you put your life into this but but in that belief there is eternal life and paul says this to the romans in romans 10:9 and 10 he says if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's simplicity to this. We believe it in heart. We confess it with our mouth. And the Bible says we're born again. We're saved. Simple message. But for some reason, men have this tendency to think we have to make it more complex than it really is. And we begin to add to the message. We begin to add requirements to the message. And, and because we struggle with the simplicity of it, we, we often open up that opportunity for the enemy to come in and deceive and and to deceive us into believing that there has to be more to this than faith and faith alone. And, and we, we think there has to be some way that, that we participate in this act of salvation, that we earn it in some some way, that we have to merit salvation. There's this continual push that was going on in the first century church to put people back under the law again and to add the requirements of the law to the salvation process. And do you realize that the enemy has been using the same tactic of deception since the very beginning? Attacking the simplicity of God's instruction to man and trying to make it more complex and confusing. Uh, he did it with Eve in the garden. You remember in the garden, um, after Adam had been given the instructions about uh, having freedom to eat from any tree within the garden. You can eat anything you want to eat except that tree. And and so Eve comes along and they both know this. The serpent comes up and what does he say? Has God not said? So he begins to attack what God has said. That you shouldn't eat of every tree in the, that you should not eat of every tree in the garden. And he's planting thoughts of doubt of the simplicity of what God's instructions really were. God knows if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will be like him, seeds of confusion. And it appeals to the pride of man. I mean, they're sitting there thinking, wow, I could be like God. I could think and know just like God. It appeals to the pride of man and that always seems to be the approach the enemy uses he feeds into the pride of man and and so the distortions come in the lies come in that 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 say you know what if 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 i just do a little bit more then i'm more presentable to god and and somehow i make myself acceptable to god it can't be just as simple as faith and faith alone and so people begin to add things to the gospel message. It's like, okay, well, it's Jesus and you have to give your money in order to be saved. Or you have to give your time in order to be saved. You, you have to do good works. You know, some would say you have to stand on the street corner, hold a magazine for so many hours a week in order to be acceptable to god some would say you have to go on a mission between 19 and 21 in order to make yourself acceptable to god and so they're adding to the simplicity by saying these works some would say well you know what it's it's faith but you also have to be baptized in order to be saved some would say well you have to be baptized, but you also have to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. It can't be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It has to be Jesus only. And and man begins to put all of these forms of regulation on what God has made so simple in salvation. And so we, we keep adding things that we can do, and it appeals to the pride of man because now we're participating in our own salvation. You see, if if Satan can keep our mind distracted <clears throat> from the simplicity of the message and keep our lives bound to a works-oriented relationship with God, then we're going to remain ineffective for the... Uh, having our life as a witness for the lord now mind you every time i watch somebody get bound up with legalism and they start to think that you know what i have to add this or i have to add this or i have to add this in order to have a a proper relationship with god and they they get bound by legalism i see the fruit disappear from their life they get so consumed with telling everybody else that's a Christian how wrong they are that there's no fruit outside of their control over their own life or trying to control the people around them. There is no ability to witness to people outside the faith because they're bound up in legalism. And so men were coming into Corinth with a different message and it was uh, and taking it to the, the Christians and putting these heavy burdens upon them. And there were, they were adding the requirements of the law and, and they were trying to reinstate them the need for circumcision. And, um, and they were also, as we see here, bringing a, another Jesus in a message. And so Paul warns them, if someone comes and preaches another Jesus to you, that you shouldn't just put up with it. You should be aware of it, but not drawn away by what they're saying. Folks, I, I'm just going to tell you this. If, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I got it. I finally figured it out. I have the inside track. If you buy my books, I could teach you how to get deeper into the meaning of the scripture. If, if that's the case, run. Okay? There, there is nothing new under the sun. So if, if it's now 2016 and the guy just figured it out, that means God has duped man for a long, a long time. So it's Deception. Run. It's another Jesus. Everything we need to know has been revealed to us in God's word already. There is no new revelation. Salvation through Jesus and him alone is the message. If somebody preaches a different plan or a different Jesus, walk away. So what what does he mean by a different Jesus? Well, we, we face the same thing in our culture today, uh, with some of the cults that are that are out there today, and um, they they preach a Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the New Testament. The New Testament tells us that if uh, tells us that Jesus, the one we believe in, is deity. He is God. He's he's the same. As God the Father, there's, there's a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all equally God. And, and so Jesus' own words, John 10, verse 30 says, I and my Father are one, not two, they're one, they're the same. He's deity. Jesus, speaking to Philip in John fourteen ninety, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so how can you say, show us the Father? And so Jesus, again, is declaring, if you're looking at me, you're seeing the Father manifest in the flesh. We're the same. Jesus is God, okay? And so that's from his own lips he declares himself to be deity. Now, before I go any further in this message, I just want you to hear me say something. Um, I don't have anything against Jehovah Witness people. Mormon people or Catholic people. I have problems with their doctrine. Okay, everybody gets that, right? Let me make sure. All right, everybody gets that. It's not a problem with the people. The people are usually wonderful people. I have a problem with the doctrine. See, the Jehovah Witnesses will come along and they will preach Jesus. But it's not the Jesus that I just described to you that's deity with God. They preach that Jesus was Michael the archangel before he was incarnated into human flesh on earth. And, and their thought process goes along with some of their end times theology. And they think because it says that, you know, he will uh, descend with the shout of the voice of an archangel and that Michael's the only archangel that's ever listed in the scriptures, So therefore, Jesus had to be Michael the archangel. Okay, so that's a different Jesus than the Bible portrays to us. Their own opinion is that he is not God, that he was Michael the archangel, and now he's a created being and not God himself. And so he's another Jesus that Paul would refer to here in in Corinthians. The Mormons come along and they preach a Jesus. In fact, they even talk about Jesus as being the Savior Uh, dying for sin, all of the same words that you would use, but the Jesus they're talking about is not the same Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. The Jesus that they believe in is the spirit brother of Lucifer. And their, their doctrine would say that Elohim, who is God, had these two sons, Jesus, Lucifer. Both of the sons presented their plan of salvation for man, and redemption of man, and Elohim chose Jesus' plan. Lucifer got angry, and now you have this cosmic battle going on between their Jesus and Lucifer. And so if you look at that, you say, this is not the Jesus of the New Testament. So they're preaching another Jesus. And so... There's nothing in the New Testament that would indicate that Jesus is Michael the archangel. There's nothing in the New Testament that would identify him as the spirit brother of Lucifer. And, and so the Jesus that we believe in, because the scripture teaches him to be, is God himself. They're one. In fact, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. Our word was with God and the word was God. Same. Now, other groups will come along and they will say that Jesus was a great teacher. He was a good philosopher, but they won't assign deity to him. They don't believe he's God, but they think, you know what? His teachings were good. He, he was a master teacher, a great philosopher, a moral person. but if you think about it carefully, he would be a lunatic and a liar and crazy if he wasn't who he said he was because he actually died for what he said he was. And so he would have been a crazy man if he didn't turn that around at some point and say, "Ali, Ali, action free, just kidding. (laughs) But but he didn't because it's true. So you, you can't believe he's just a good moral man unless you believe what he said. And what he said about himself is that he's God. And so his disciples would have been insane. They martyred themselves for that same belief. So don't let anybody confuse you about Jesus. He was more than a good man, more than a good teacher. Uh, He was God manifest in the flesh. He's our redeemer and our savior, according to the scripture. And so Paul was rebuking the Corinthian believers because they were listening to these other messages that were coming in about a different Jesus other than Paul had brought to them as the church was founded. And and they were allowing their lives to be distracted from the simplicity of the message about Jesus. And, And so he goes on in verse five, he says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent, or the super apostles, if you have one of the newer translations. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am in knowledge. But I I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifest among you in all things. Now, he's he's still answering those self-appointed religious leaders who had come in. Uh, they They had tried to put him down in the eyes of the corinthian believers they were They were trying to really play down paul 's role as an apostle and he says, "You know what, even though I was untrained in speech, the knowledge of the truth that I brought to you was manifest in the fact that there's fruit in your lives because of what was taught and, in fact um Paul didn't try to impress them. Rem- remember back in the first letter in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or superior wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And and so Paul, there's a reminder here that he, When he came to them, he didn't come with eloquence. He didn't come with with a bunch of razzmatazz. He came and he simply gave them Jesus. And the fruit of that was that the power of God was unleashed in their lives and there was changes taking place as a result of truth. And so he's reminding them the message of salvation that he brought was not complex it didn't rest on his ability to communicate the power of the message was the cross of christ and he brought this simple message and god's power saved them then he goes on to say this in verse seven he says did i commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. Now remember, Paul was a, a tent maker. When he when he was in Corinth with, with Priscilla and Aquila, they they made tents in order to, to be able to minister there without being a burden to the the believers there. And and he also had support from others. In verse 8, it says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And so he had these other churches supporting him to be able to minister to the Corinthians. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. And and so Paul goes through this to explain that his motive when he was among them was different from those who were coming in at this point, that no one could bring a false accusation about Paul's motive for ministry. He served because he loved them, and he didn't want anything from them. He didn't try to extract any money from them. He he just served out of love. Now, he's also making a statement against those self-appointed leaders that came in with distortion. And I think it's a, a loud message for today's leaders as well. I think that um, you know, living in a, an abundance at the expense of those supporting ministry, that there is no excuse for a TV evangelist to live in a $20 million home at the expense of those that are supporting the ministry. There, there is no logical explanation other than greed for that and to be escorted in limousines to your meetings it's just it's craziness it's pitiful I, I wouldn't want to stand before god and have to give account for that and and yet paul was stating that no charge like that could be set against him he he didn't do anything with those impure motives trying to extract anything from the corinthian believers his his motive for ministry to them was simply to preach Jesus, that message of salvation, even at his own expense. And he goes on to describe this this type of mentality that the the charlatans were bringing in as a tool of Satan that he uses to deceive. Verse 13, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, Paul sums up by making connection between these self-appointed leaders or super apostles as he calls them and the work of Satan. It's important that we understand what Paul is saying here about the tactics and the techniques that Satan will use in order to distract us from those things that are simple and important in the gospel message. Now, He is the master of deception. We have to know that. I mean, Satan has been doing this for a long time, folks, from the very beginning, from the garden. He's been trying to deceive men. So don't ever get so prideful in yourself that says, come on, put him up, Satan. I'm going to take you on. You know what? He's going to whoop on you. (laughs) He is the master of deception. You want Christ between you and him. (laughs) <laughs> that's our defense. But but he is the master of deception. He's been, he's been deceiving men in every way for all of these generations. And so he's very good. And so we have to be aware of his tactics. So w- what does he mean here that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light? Well, it means this. He will use any type of deceptive tool to distract you or to distract me from our relationship with God. I mean, let's, let's look at the facts. The, the reality is, is once we're born again, he's, he's lost us as far as heaven and hell is concerned. So, so now his reason for deceiving and distracting us and dissuading us is to keep our life ineffective at reaching other people for Christ to not take anybody else to heaven with us. And so if he can get us all worked up over stupidity, then it will distract us from being faithful to go out and share the simplicity of Jesus with people who need to be saved. And, and so if he can keep us distracted from growing in our own relationship with God, he can keep us from having that effect on people who still are making eternal choices. And again, if you look at legalism as one of the deceptions that he brings in and, and people start to um, add to what's necessary in order for you to be saved and you can't be a real Christian unless you go through these steps and do you know bow four times, point this direction and do all the, all the craziness that people will attach to what it means to be a Christian. If you look at the fruit of all of that, and people, you know, trying to put you back under the Sabbath, back under the law. back. In, you look at the fruit of that and you'll realize that they're reaching nobody for Christ. Because they're all bound up in legalism. And, and so it's a great distraction that Satan has brought into the church. He says he comes at us in a way that his evil is disguised as an angel of light trying to deceive, meaning that it has the appearance that it's something good. I mean, we would think in terms of an angel of light as something good. And that's how he deceives man. He presents it in a way that it looks spiritual, it looks godly, and therefore it must be of God. And yet it's a great distraction. And he'll use anything he can to take our eyes off of the true Savior, Jesus Christ. Many times it'll be something that even appears to look good or spiritual or religious. These issues have the appearance of being godly, but in fact are against the message of the gospel. I might as well just go for this. I've taken apart everything else, so for instance, we on a regular basis see things in the in the media of these faces of Mary that appear on toast on walls on paintings, on windows and and you know, we laugh at that, but there's a, there's a real sense that people are drawn to this. I mean, this is Mary. And so they're drawn, and they go, and they line up to be able to kiss the window or smell the bread or whatever. And, and there are people that are just duped by this and consumed. And these, these apparitions are a distraction from the true message that God wants man to hear. And, and so, you know, within the Catholic theology, Mary's the, the co redemptrix she's, she's a co-redeemer. There's nothing in the scripture that teaches that. But, but in their theology and their doctrine, that's what they believe. And so, so these apparitions just support Catholic doctrine. But it's a distraction from the simplicity of, Of the gospel message. The Bible never makes mention of her in any connection to redeeming mankind. And and these appearances seem to be so religious. I mean, people come and they weep and they pray. It seems to be religious. And nobody wants to come against Mary, you know, and say that it's not right. But it's not biblical, folks, it's a distraction. Satan is an angel of light. He will use anything at his disposal to take people's eyes off of Jesus and the simplicity of the message of salvation and get it bound up with religious things. So if it takes our eyes off of Jesus, we can say it's not of God. Even if it's Mary, it's not of God. Anything that would come against what the scripture teaches, no matter how religious it sounds, is a tool of the enemy to keep people away from the message of Jesus. The charlatans that we talked about on TV that have distracted so many by their actions and their lifestyle choices, the begathons and everything else that they do, it's a huge setback for the ability to preach the truth. And have people actually hear what we're saying. People are so turned off by it. They've learned from the angel of light himself. And have been deceived. And therefore they are deceiving many. The apostle Paul was not surprised by this. And that's why he brings this warning to the Corinthians. Satan's goal is to deceive. To blind the eyes of people who. Uh, so they cannot see the simplicity of the salvation message, the simplicity of that message that redeems their soul. Earlier in this letter, in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who's in the image of God. And he uses these tactics that the enemy would deceive. He uses these seemingly religious things and people to keep the blinders on people's eyes so they cannot receive the salvation that God so freely offers. There's an evil force at work trying to blind the eyes of those who do not believe to keep them from securing an eternity in heaven. Lies, deception, seemingly religious things. Have your eyes been blinded? Have you bought into the deception? Have you been distracted from the simplicity of the gospel message by something that had the appearance of good, engineered by Satan himself. The, the challenge to us this morning is clear. Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not, not one of the other Jesuses that people would preach. The Jesus of the Bible is to be the focus of our life, the focus of our ministry, the focus of the gospel message that we preach. Simply Jesus. Not complicated, not added to, it's simply Jesus. And so the message is simple, and we should keep it that way. Satan is a deceiver. Always has been, always will be. So don't let him distract you and take your eyes off of Jesus and get bound up by other things. Don't let other people put a heavy trip on you because you're not doing what they do. It's Jesus, simply Jesus to be the focus of our life. There's no need to complicate what God has made so clear. And so we rest in that clarity. We don't allow the angel of light to deceive us. And we keep our eyes on Jesus. And if if you're not saved yet, if you've came here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, the enemy has been hard at work your entire life to keep you from receiving the simplicity of this message. And the message is this simple, that Jesus, the only perfect man to ever live, died in your place so that your sin can be forgiven. And as we stated earlier, if we put our faith, we believe that he died for us, we put our faith in him, all of our sin is forgiven, we're born again, and we have that hope of eternal life. That's that simple. Come to him today. Let him save you today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. Lord, we are masters at complicating things. Lord, I pray that this word today would save us from that complication. Lord, that you would help us keep our eyes on Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible the one who can save us, the one who has done everything to show his love for us. And Lord, may we be drawn to you in such a way that we live our lives for you, that we would be people who project that ministry of Christ in every place that you put us so that others can come to know you and to be saved. Lord, help us not to complicate things and and to be bound up with legalism, to not be distracted by religious things, but, Lord, just to keep Jesus in our sights and live for you. And, Lord, if there's any here that, that, that need to receive Christ today, I pray that you would move upon their hearts. I just want to give you that opportunity today to pray and to ask Jesus to save you. If that's you and you want to know that your sin is forgiven and that you have the hope of heaven, put your hand up in the air so I can see it. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Bless you in the back. Anybody else? You're not too young, not too old. It's a simple step of faith, believing. Anybody else? I'm going to lead you in a prayer no magic in the words it's a simple faith in what you're saying that saves you Um, so repeat this after me heavenly father I thank you that Jesus died for my sin I have sinned against you many ways in many ways and so today I believe that Jesus dying saved me come into my life make me a new creation in Christ Help me to live my life for you now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.